All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Word, word. What's up, brother? What's going on? What's going on? How you doing? Good. I'm good. I saw you guys the other night. That was lit. Oh, you was there? Yeah, yeah, in L.A. Yeah, that was hard. Okay. That was my first time at the forum, man. I, I enjoyed that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I did it uh, I did it in May with the tour we was on. That was uh, I had been. I had actually did it one other time with me and uh, George and all that, but it, it's a great performance venue. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah you know, it's rare to be in a venue which there's not bouncing sound and all. Yeah, it's like it's specific. Yeah, exactly. They did a good job. We can introduce ourselves to Seb while we here. Yeah, I'm La- yeah. I'm Laia. How you doing? Laia. Okay. Yes. What's up? Yes, yes. Get them vibes working. Work them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get all of them. It's a lie. Yeah. 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 I'm Fonte, man. We met a few times. We uh, I think I brought my family backstage when you guys were in Raleigh. Uh, this was. Uh, okay. A couple years ago, uh, when you and Eddie and uh, George, I was doing y'all tour, and uh, you were telling oh, me how yeah. you and Pooh, oh, I think you and Pooh, y'all played, I think you and Pooh was doing, just do something with sports together or something. From oh, Pooh, yeah, Pooh, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. We had uh, one of those football things together, we was all in. Yeah, like Sugar Steve just rolled a joint though. What Sugar Steve? What you doing? Yeah, over there? probably did. Yo, I just rolled ten joints. It's his birthday. <laughs> oh, Steve. It's his birthday, Sam. Let's go, Stevie. Shit, let's, let's go. Up. Let's go. Nice to meet you. Yes, sir. Right Congratulations on, on your book, man. It's nice to see all these yeah. St. Louis uh, references in here. I got a mama from there. Oh, word. Okay, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I'm really. Uh, Really happy with the way it turned out and everything. So super excited about it. It looked like it's going to be on somebody's stage or screen in a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. got definitely got all the elements of being a great story. Actually, that's kind of where I started it. I started writing a writing a TV show idea, and then it, and then the book opportunity came. So, so dope, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the summer is over. I hope you guys thrived, and uh, and did well. Uh, this is another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove. We have our team Supremes with us. Take a little, bro. What's up, man? Oh, oh, working, man. Working. 
How was your summer? My summer was was hot. Um, I, I think I realized this summer, my favorite season really is fall. I think I only liked summer as a kid because there was no school. Right. But summer as an adult, it's fucking hot <laughs> in Michigan. Yeah, no. I, mean, I, I can have this shit because I'm more of a fall guy. But I mean, but the summer it was good. I didn't get to cook as much as I wanted to because it was just it was just that hot. It was too crazy. But uh, but no, we had a good time, man. Me and the family too. You, you have an outdoor setup in your crib. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I got my got my uh the big green egg. I, I do it on that, and um, you know that's normally where I do all my all my cooking outside, my grilling. But uh, you ain't yeah, no but, real griller if you ain't got that egg. I heard that's like a thing. No, nah, nah, I mean yeah. it's it's official. But I mean, listen, I I didn't seen dudes get busy in a file cabinet before, so you know what I mean. <laughs> it's just, if you got the skill to do it, you know what I mean. I want to talk barbecue. We'll get into. I want to talk barbecue with eggs. I know you and Anthony, y'all got y'all thing too. So um. But yeah, man. I, uh, yeah, my summer was cool. My summer was cool. Word up. That's right, Steve. You remember we used to um, put out the deluxe George Foreman grill on the patio? <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a real barbecue, but yeah, Foreman was handy. Yeah. Definitely handy. I'm, I miss my Foreman grill, man. It's probably still on that patio. <laughs> I've left the house like <laughs> 16 years ago. I bet you still out there. <laughs> uh, how's your summer, Steve? What's What's going on, bro? Man, just like Fonte's, a lot, a lot of work, a lot of projects. Got the record label nonstop. Or just did our twenty third record on on JMI, and uh, twenty three records, twenty three records. Yeah, uh, last Man. six six or I seven years. Label for real, cause you guys remember when it started right around the time Questlove Supreme started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ray Angry One was your first one, wasn't it? Was that, that the was second second one? Yeah, that was second, that was second. it's like ten Ray Angry albums later. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. he's our he's our flagship artist for sure. Um, okay, and a lot of good stuff coming out. Yeah, cool. Laia, how how uh, how goes it? Uh, it goes well. Uh, m- much like Fonte, it was a hot summer, especially because this is my first Perry summer. So that was an experience. Perry um, summer. Perry. Oh, fellas. So let me never tell you, perimenopause is the stuff that happens before menopause. It can can pop off at like, you know, 35, starting to age of 35. Mine happened a little later. And that's just when you get all the heat from the menopause. All your things are still rolling. You know, your body's still doing things. Maybe not as often. You know, I'd be partying for 50 days without a situation. But yeah, if if you look at me now, there's a glow. So you're saying everyday summer for you? Every day is summer. <laughs> Every day. And shout out to your bandmate Kamal who wanted to make that known to everyone yesterday. I'm still gonna kick his ass. What what did he do? Oh no, he just announced that I had my menopause fan in my hand. And I was like, it is, but let wow. me tell my story. No, 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 no. He only knows <laughs> that because I can attest that Kamal, Tariq, and maybe two other roots also had their fans in there. There's a thing that you plug into your iPhone and yeah, you know, it cools you off and yeah, we're we're up there, man. This 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 is the summer in which I felt whatever the, the equivalent of preschool is to being a senior citizen. That was this summer. The force. <laughs> Dog, it, this was not a music tour. This was this was Camp Cool J. This is literally GI Jane. Oh, please tell us something, oh, wow. Amir. Just tell us something. No, like LL wasn't having it. Like we've been, I probably lost an additional fifteen pounds. Like he has working out. Lifting weights, ah. like getting cupping every night, and send ah. us to the to the spa to get yo. I need y'all relax, man. Getting drips, oxygen tanks. Like LL ah. is is. I mean, not like major pain level of drill sergeant, but like 
he don't take that. You, you I mean, he be- looks phenomenal. So, you know, that it's got to be a lot to make that happen. It well, yeah, it's it's definitely a osmosis effect that's been happening. So, you know, four more gigs left. But uh, I will say this is one of the hardest summers of my life. Like, what? and I had to do no running, none of that stuff. Like, I mean, you've seen the show. Like, the yeah, had to. You've seen us injured. Like, you saw Thaddeus jumping one, one leg in 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 a yeah. clutch. And it so. was the wettest I ever seen you. You got off stage, you was like soaked. I was like, that's not like you. You do this like it's nothing. Three and a half hours. Well, you saw a short show. That was just like three hours on the news but normally it's like three and a half hours back where i belong sitting in the chair talking and not moving is is where i'm the happiest so again i will say that longtime listeners of the show should know uh how much we love focusing on career pivots uh all of us have reached our pivot where we were one thing when the show first started now we're you know multi-hyphenated doing other things and I will say that our guest this week is absolutely all about that. You know, as probably one of the, the, the biggest stand-ups in all of comedy. Uh, and he has pivoted to become a fixture on his television, film actor, stage. We know him first for comedy. And then, you know, if you're if you're fans of a comic view and Def Comedy Jam and even the Primetime Emmy Awards, you know our guest. But you know, he's also executive producer show and created opportunities for so many other comedians and actors in his wake. But also, I will say that uh, our guest tonight, he's sort of expanding his palette a little bit, and he is uh, a novelist. And his first novel, Flipping Boxcars, uh, is is currently out, and he's joined us to talk about his life, his career, and his many pivots. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one and only... Mm-hmm. You're ready for your next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, man, that's classic. That's the black what black people have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, so this is what you don't know, said. Okay, so I, without alienating my position with uh, one of my jobs, with the roots now, 15 years at that job, we kind of have a short list of the types of guests that get to the couch, but uh-huh. we have a top five list of people who are, are snooze city. Like, yeah. like give it long, like when you see it on television, it's perfectly edited. It's nice. Yeah. But these are like 18 minute story, like the equivalent of me in real life <laughs> on the <this> show. <laughs> and it's to the point now oh. where all three of your ad libs, uh, <laughs> like literally, your ad libs are <laughs> triggered on my computer to the right, and that's what I use to sometimes make fun of guests on the show. So, you know, if you happen to see us yes, laughing yes. from the couch and you didn't say anything funny, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> no, that, that, that's one of my favorite uh, bits, man. I love that. How you doing, uh, bro? I'm good, brother. I'm doing everything as well, man. It was good. good Wait, everybody. are you in the car right now? Yeah, man. I was actually out with my wife. Wait, what's up with every black guest that we have? Hey, do their interview portion in the car. This is where it's, where it's, where it's uh, soundproof yeah. and whatnot. Where, where are you calling us from? I'm in. I'm actually at the nail shop. So my wife wanted me to come to come to the nail shop with her. And yeah. then I was like, oh, I was like, our anniversary was Sunday. 
So I've been like oh, wow. just anniversarying it up with her, like so each day, whatever she wants to do. And I, t- you know, I was like, babe, I got this interview. And she's like, come, it's going to be fast. And of course it's not. She and they're getting jail toes and, and dips. They dipping it. They, it's all kind of, I said, I got to go to the car and do this interview. So it's long enough for you to do a podcast. Like yeah, it yeah. Is. If she getting jailed yeah, exactly. on the toes and the hands, yeah, it's long. Yeah, no, they going <laughs> Wait, deep. Yeah, can, they, can I can I ask you guys for for advice? So, at what point in the relationship do you realize that you shouldn't do too much at the beginning, because then you'll have to maintain that level of excellence throughout the entire cool. relationship? Like when February is yeah. around, yeah. Do y'all feel like? The pressure of oh god yeah. now I gotta yeah you 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 can easily put yourself in bad to your point you can put yourself in bad situations and, and depending on the person you you you're dating right my wife right. is not really big on her birthday but her anniversary that means the that means much to her so anniversaries are things that I gotta go hard on Valentine's Day is something that she's just long as I pay attention and don't forget we good, but like, you know, but like Thanksgiving, Christmas, anything to do with the kids, like the, the kids gotta be like their birthdays and what we do to celebrate them. Or I need to be very concerned about that as a man, which, you know, in most cases I am not, I'd be like, yo, when, when was these little kids born again? Like, I don't know. <laughs> shit, okay. <laughs> they are old and stuff. Now I'm looking at them like, I don't know when your birthday is, bro. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say after after twenty three, my dad stopped acknowledging my birthday. So yeah, yeah, it's like bro, like come on, man, come on, dog, like salute. Oh yeah, I be doing my son like that, my man. Happy birthday, bro! Like that's it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you're no longer a little dude where I got to get the cake and throw the Lakers birthday party for you and all that stuff. You know, like you know, how old are your kids now, man? Yeah, my son's gonna be twenty three at in the end of September, and my Daughter will be 20 in November, and I got an older daughter that's 34 and a granddaughter that's seven. Wow. So, yeah. And you and your wife, y'all got 20 years in? Is this 20 for y'all? I'm, I'm long yeah, 24. 24. 24. Like 24th, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So that's Congratulations. What's what's your secret? Yeah. I'm always looking for advice. What's what's the secret to keeping <laughs> it alive? I mean, I mean, I mean, we really enjoy each other. I think that was the main thing is to really kind of keep your wife is your girlfriend, you know, try to keep that, that part of it alive, you know, so that you don't get into playing those kind of traditional roles and get, you know, everybody just kind of like playing the game of marriage. So we still like date a lot and have fun together, laugh a lot and have our own inside stuff. And it's important. Even when we was raising the kids, we still like, you know, made it, you know, made our relationship about us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the parenting part of it was again, a part of the overall system, but Never was it all about like, oh, you know, we just going to be mama and daddy and not you ain't going to be my my girl. You know what I'm saying? You got to be my girl, too. So I think that's the key. That's what's up. I've never had an in-depth conversation with any of the kings of comedy. And, you know, I've seen many, you know, like a documentary on like the Comedy Act Theory and all those things. But I know that a lot of you have gotten your start out, I'm assuming, like in the Midwest then making yeah. your way out west. So just in general, I, I want to know like where does your where does humor play in your life? Like were you always the class clown? Were you always making people laugh? Like how when were you 
at what point on the timeline will you mark where your journey starts with comedy? I'm going to say, you know, probably that, you know, that that seventh, seventh grade lunchroom cafeteria area where we all kind of start to identify ourselves as, a you know, like your own personality. But, you know, you also got to stand up against, you know, the, uh, the the larger group. Right. And I came from a small town at that time. I used to live in a little small town called Carruthersville, Missouri, and moved to St. Louis. So I was like the the kind of the new kid, but you know, I, I, I lived in a household where my single parent household, me and my mom, but like my uncles and my cousins, they was funny. Like I got like one uncle that's just was one of these funny personalities just always said funny things. And I think that that was, you know, that place where you see it, you see it, uh, that environment where you like, you know, somebody that's always going to walk in the room and everybody can't wait till he get there. Cause he's going to say something crazy. And he had a hundred of them. And so I think that, that even my style of comedy is more like, you know, somebody, you know, like somebody like more conversational in the in my delivery, more like an uncle or a cousin. And then I had to learn how to put it on stage, you know, you know, you know, in a formulated pattern way. But but I still still more or less write jokes and come with my jokes from a point of view of like slice of life, like what I would say in a circumstance. Okay. At this point in your career, how do you work stuff out? I mean, because you, you know, you've done stadiums and stuff. So yeah, you go to just kind of, you know, you need to work your ideas out. Yeah, I, I got a couple of comedy clubs I like to work out with. Usually up north, like uh, I'll go up to, uh, you know, like Sacramento, you know, that kind of area. Or it's a little uh, club outside of Oakland. That's one of my favorite clubs to go work out is in Pleasanton, California. So I would go in there and just, you know, do multiple shows. And that's usually where I'm trying to like write jokes and try new things out. Uh, but I'll also do it on the big stage. You know, I've kind of gotten to the point to where if I think I know what the joke is, I'll just do it like right there in front of people. Like, just try it. OK. Answer this question to me about L uh, or Hollywood, at least. Um so you're about maybe the the sixth or seventh comedian that I've heard that will mention a place outside of Los Angeles is. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that when I'm on, so I'm currently right now in, uh, on sunset Boulevard, you know, the comedy store is always crowded and all the, the comedy clubs up here. Who's working out there. If none of the heavy hitters that I know are, working out in los angeles like i always hear like oh there's like an out the way comedy club like yeah 100 miles away is it that there's a fear that a writer or somebody's going to take your joke or whatever or yeah is that that that's one thing in 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 uh in la is that it's a lot of comedians here trying to find themselves get put on of course looking for discovery and so that's where they kind of work out, you know, all the kind of guys that's trying to make it happen. And there's some people who, you know, definitely have, you know, like their brands already, you know, say like a D-Ray or somebody like that. They they work out here and they have their own rooms and that works, you know, for them. Uh, but, you know, most comedians, we try not to be inside that one. I try not to even hear other people's material so that I don't even, you know, I'm get not influenced. even get influenced by nothing. So I'll try to go like, you know, outside of LA and it's usually just better. The audiences are, you know, a little more regular people with jobs, you know, and it's kind of like the, 
to your point, it's that that middle America audience that you're looking for. But in California, where it's close to go to work, but when you go to Hollywood, you got you know you got the people that want to be seen, trying to be seen, and it's that vibe, you know. So it's it's like you know you you got to almost wear a full Versace outfit to go and do shows there, like you know it's like. <laughs> You got to be just as sharp as everybody who coming out, you know, like it's a whole thing. Look at this drip. <laughs> so how how is how is uh, lost or Hollywood divided? Like, I know how New York is where uh, a lot of the alternative comedians are either Brooklyn only or maybe part of the village. And then kind of the more uh, established ones, you know, they'll go to the comedy cellar in the West Village. And, yeah kind of work their way up in midtown manhattan and usually like the vegas level comedians or whatever are just like kind of midtown to uptown and then i mean at one point i knew that there was a a, a place for black comedians to work out way uptown i don't know if it's still that way now but for for those that are of the the comedy act theater set like yeah they work out because i'd never see you guys at like is it still kind of an apartheid in, in terms of? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, it's definitely, you know, like Chocolate Sundays, which is at, uh, you know, the Laugh Factory. And that's a Sunday night kind of thing. That's where the black comics go to work out in Hollywood at the at the Laugh Factory on Sunday nights. Uh, comedy store usually will have uh, a night or two where everybody kind of goes up in there and pop. So almost all the clubs got like a night where a it's black the night. black night tonight where, you know, and if you want to work out with your peoples, that's where you go. And then, you know, and then it's a, it's a few like in LA, like it's, it only used to be one down like on Pico near that Roscoe's down there. I can't think of the name of it right now. I don't even know. It's hard for them to survive after COVID too. Like, you know, mm. it was, you know, that's one of the things because to your point, even the, the bigger comedians, where people can draw a name and you know and and these 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 kind of locations can do well they have them they find themselves struggling just to keep it packed you know but you know it's again it's a lot of comedians so and it's a lot of comedians that's you know want to get on stage and work that that are dope you know so i think that you know those are the kind of those are the kind of spots that still need a lot of love and support uh and you know and usually i'll go by when somebody like like, a, you know, whether a friend of mine want me to really come through, like something like that, I might pop up and say, I right, cool, mob on stage for a few minutes. But I don't really work out like that much that like when I'm in L.A. because between the TV show and being a family man, when I go, I don't really want to just hang out and be like, you know, do it the old school way. I'll be wanting to go in, do my business and break out, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, is, is J. Anthony Brown's place still open? I've been meaning to check on that place. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, again, that was a spot that was, again, had a lot of love, a lot of residency. I would, mm -hmm. I, I would think so, but I hadn't heard. I saw Jay not too long ago and I didn't even ask him about the club, but, but uh, it seems as though it's still alive because it's right near Snoop Dogg's Kind of big Top compound down, where yeah. everybody go and hang out. Yeah, so. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson, 
Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurter to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can I go back real quick? Because Amir talked about St. Louis, but I just, I really want to get into St. Louis a little bit because you said you're from, how do you pronounce it in Carthur? I couldn't say it in the Carruthers- book. It's Carruthersville. Carruthersville, yeah, Carruthersville. So can you break down, what's the, dif- what's the distance between Carruthersville and St. Louis and the differences so Carruthersville is like a, a super small town. It's like, and it's it's probably four hours, it's three and a half hours from St. Louis and probably an hour and 10 minutes from Memphis. So it's like going okay. south. Gotcha. Like, so we go, you go down south from St. Louis and you go towards Arkansas and Tennessee and it's right in the boot hill. So, and it's a small town, probably 3,000 people, three thirty. So very different. 30, yeah, yeah, you're very different. Very segregated, you know, uh, you know, and it is, but it's on the river. It's on the Mississippi River. So where I, you know, where I prayed the, when I framed the book in the forties, the river, the riverboat cities were very thriving because people traveled on the river a lot, and they would stop and they would eat and come hang out. And so these were like really kind of bustling little small towns. And so uh, you know, with a thriving downtown and restaurants and all that stuff. So. Uh, so that's where I kind of, you know, tell that story around when my grandparents lived there. But, you know, I grew up there as well. What was the, what was the, uh, the impetus of, of starting or for you to, to go into storytelling and writing your first novel? Well, you know, for me, it really kind of stemmed from the idea that I was I was trying to I was 
first of all, I was trying to like just kind of have this connection to my my family, right? Like I grew up, my mother was single parent. She raised me and my sister. And so I didn't really have my male figures around. I knew my dad, but he wasn't really in our life. And so oftentimes, you know, my mom would say, you you know, that's like my daddy would do that. My daddy would have done this. And he had passed before I was ever born. So, you know, and listening to stories about him, I started to wonder, like, uh, like, what was my connection to somebody I never met before? Like, what was that DNA that kind of led to me being very entrepreneurial, uh, kind of a person that didn't want to work inside the lines. Like I, even though I had my degree, I never wanted to have a job. Like my mom used to be like, why don't you just work at that company? I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to work every day. That's not who I am. She was like, that's my dad. That was like my dad, you know? So, you know, it was that kind of thought process. So I started to create the character based off me having these machinations of who he was. And then, and then, you know, I started to write a, a TV story about it uh, that kind of felt like Boardwalk Empire. I always kind of loved mm-hmm. that uh, that character, Chalky White, because in a way, yeah, way, the way, way, yeah, way my uh, way my uh, mom would describe him, he was kind of the 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 de facto mayor of the black side of town. Yes. He was the guy that you call to get things done and all that stuff. He was plugged in with the sheriff, and so I basically put all that kind of stuff in the book and then told this fictional tale about who he is did the seed of the start for you in the pandemic no you know actually it was a little bit before that it was so interesting that you know because uh it was it was times when i was kind of transitioning from uh you know like you know movies i was doing a lot of movies in the early 2000s you know and then my kids started to get to get older where they couldn't travel and they couldn't come with us because most of the movies weren't doing them in LA anymore. And so they were younger, they can come with me. But we would shoot movies in Toronto and, you know, and in Vancouver and then Ireland. And, you know, when they, when they were younger, my family could come with me. Then they started to get their own schedules. And so I was trying to figure out like, like how I could still be a part of the family structure and be a part of life and without giving that up. So I decided to do television. And that was when it was like, you know, it was kind of like, you know, considered a fallback. If you do television, you was mm-hmm. you weren't as hot as a movie star. So and this instantly like with opposite. streaming and stuff that everybody in change. You got Yellowstone, you got movie stars coming to TV now. So, you know, mm-hmm. but but it's like but at that time it was like a real, you know, real hard move. And I had to make that kind of strategy. And I started to think about like stuff that my it will pop in my head, like what would my grandfather do in this situation? And so I started writing the ideas down back then. And then, you know, the, the book kind of came uh, as I was trying to, you know, kind of shape the show. Then the opportunity for me to do the book because, of, you know, um, you know, the neighborhood was doing well. And so then everybody started offering you all kinds of stuff. Then they're like, yo, you want to do a book? And I was like, I was like, yeah, but not no <laughs> book about me being a stand up and telling you my kind of dot to dot story. I got a whole nother idea. And when I pitched it, they loved it. And that was it. So that, I was glad that they, it took it took like a year and a half to really kind of shape it up, though. So let me ask, because, you know, one, we had a pandemic. But what we're kind of going through right now as we speak is kind of pandemic 2.0 for anybody that's yeah. kind of a professional mm. in the industry. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you, is there ever... Okay, so let me let me uh, phrase it. Uh, America Ferrera, 
uh, when she started her Ugly Betty series, yeah, she told me that she waited. You know, it was an instant hit out the box. And she told me that she wanted to wait till the third season before she felt safe enough to, like, put down on that house and really, you know, for there's a point where you go from, like, living in that little apartment that you lived in until you find that hit sitcom. And then you really want to make sure that your contract and your money's right and all that stuff. So she said, OK, I'm going to wait until my third season. And, you know, she nominated for Emmy. So it just seemed like, OK, blammo, instant hit. And then after season three, they were like, all right, well, that's it. You're done. Knowing what you've been through and, you you know, you're you're famous for the joke of you guys not getting the Kate, you know, other shows you've been on that got canceled without warning. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> no, no cake or anything. So now that you're on like an established network uh, comedy show. Like, do you always feel safe or is there a part of you that's always like, nope, let me have my plan B, C, and D, like, just yeah, in case. De- you never know. De- definitely, man. I learned that a long time ago because it's such a fickle business. Like, none of us really saw, like, this strike coming, if you will. But you do recognize that, you know, ratings or what's hot or something new comes along. Uh, this, t- this town just really fickle like that. Like, you know. So whatever the latest craze is, they'll just figure out like, oh, we're going to change to that now. And you'll be like, what happened? You know, so I'm definitely I'm definitely far more cautious about, you know, like just being, you know, being super confident that whatever I'm working, even though it is working, that it's going to always work. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we 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 we've been ordered for the sixth season. So that's a real blessing. Theoretically, yeah, for the neighborhood. Theoretically, I'd like to go to eight. You know, I like to go and be like in the light. So, yeah, yeah, but you know, like shows like Blackish and you know other kind of black shows of of uh, that I feel like our Elka pedigree that's been on like major networks should have the opportunity to run all the way out, like tell your full story, you know, and so. Uh, you know, and then, you know, but also like now as a producer, I'm creating, uh, you know, spinoffs and, and other versions. So, again, that you have the show live beyond its 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 years. And so these are the things that I try to like, like even negotiate for while I know that my show is doing well. I'm like, hey, give me the spinoff so that I can like turn my show into another show that can run another, you know, you know, five, six years that, you know, I, I can be eating off of and then right. do something else too. Mm, I so, can see that with your sons, the sons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So for me, there's there's a myth in the music business where they say like all it takes is is one hit and you're set for life. Which is kind of a truth and a lie. I mean in other words, like uh have been true in eighty eight. It ain't true today. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I'll say hip hop has definitely changed everyone's lifestyle goals. So, in other words, if I were the the writer. OK, so if I was uh, one of the writers of Queens Under Pressure at the time when Vanilla Ice sampled it and, you know, sold 10 million copies. Um, you know, that's a nice check that I'm going to get every year. And if I maintain my lifestyle, but if, you know, if I'm pursuing a five million dollar lifestyle and i'm only getting a million dollar check then like you're asked out but yeah 
the equivalent of that in the television world is when your show gets syndicated. Is that the goal? Like, can one actually, like, for now, like, for any act or any actor or actress that is on a show that's syndicated and currently running right now, I'm certain that those checks are helping a lot. Yeah. While your current show's not on. But is syndicated money still good? Not any, no, not anymore. It's, it's very much very parallel to, like you said, the music business. I mean, it used to be, and probably, and, and to some degree, one of the big reasons why we're striking too is that you know, new forms of media streaming, all these all these companies kind of being yeah being mixed in together. They they protect themselves. You know, like I mean, CBS is a part of Paramount, Paramount Plus, uh, and then of course the whole you what used to be Viacom, all their channels. So they will syndicate to yeah they will syndicate to themselves, and <laughs> and of course that'll ruin the ruin the money that used to be available, right? Yeah, so no, who are you negotiating? Yeah, yeah. How are you negotiating yeah, so, <laughs> and it's internal and it's internal business and and they basically tell you that these are these are internal numbers. This is what we're doing to right. protect our assets. So, so that's that's uh, the scary part said I had just listened about that and I was we were just talking about this before you came on and we were talking about how like so if you're on TV and you do syndication, because I, I think a lot of times we need to explain this to the people who actually watch TV. They don't know the intricacies of this language a lot of times. And so yeah. The TV versus I was just watching uh, the actor from Breaking Bad saying that like he's on Netflix and Breaking Bad's on Netflix. And that is zero money that he receives from that versus maybe if it was on an actual network on TV, it would be uh, more. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the opportunities, you know, we used to have this thing like where you go like and I say most people would understand like the the channel nines or channel 13s in your local city. Right. And you see something that come on after the evening news, you get to watch everybody love Raymond or yes. friends or all mm-hmm. that. This, that's where the money is because you got to think it's one of those in every little town and they all got to buy it in a way as a part of a group or individual. And so it's being sold that many times, right? Every episode. Oh, and okay. so, so that's when they're buying it. But like a Netflix will just take it and and then they they're a technology company. So they're not a broadcast company. So they don't have to even reveal what numbers they the algorithm. Because right. mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's technology. I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know. It's one Man, of the like, well, it's, it's one of the striking points to finally reveal that. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's that's one of the real gets you put the push towards it because really what happened is not even that we didn't know is that we need to be able to have the the kind of uh you know transparency because what they did is is now is they kind of take your intellectual property by not revealing it because they do do original programming because they do have people create things for them and then you don't have to basically tell me what it is right i can i can pay you one time and and you can have a hot show and i don't have to really ever reveal to you how hot that show was like i don't have to ever say it was right. in, but i paid you and you know and their thing is that usually they pay more than what people used to get paid so that's how they won for so many years because they would pay you a larger premium so oh, to be right. on netflix was that good bag right it was that fat bag and nobody really cared. Like, you know, if, if I would get 30000 on a regular show, Netflix might give me 150 And you'd be like, shit, give me that. Mm-hmm. Right. But they might have made $2 million and you yeah, don't even well, know. Yeah, 
you never know. You never bothered to ask, and it didn't. It didn't really get. You know, it didn't get important until shows got bigger and bigger, and you start to realize, like, oh, that's really all we watching is Netflix a lot now. You know, and right. and, and Prime and Hulu. We only watching these shows now. Where's the money? So that's why it, I think your pivot is more brilliant than it looks. Right. Because n- not for nothing. Do you feel like your business is changing in a major way? I, I tell I said to music people, I was like, we used to be like, wait till I get to TV and film. That's where the big money is. Uh, Everything is becoming the music business now. Like, it, it, yeah, movie is. Yeah. No, it's so true. I was going to say it looked like it's like every business looked at the music industry and was like, yo, they don't pay nobody. Why should we? Exactly. Like, and that's it. And you and you think it was the digital, the digital trash uh, platform that really changed the music business when you know when Napster. the streaming came and the Napster of it all and people started yeah, being I seen this movie before, and that changed the whole model and that and that Netflix and Amazon basically changed the model for us. Like once they got really hot and locked in and then was able to create and become the it, then everybody else wanted to be them. So you think yeah. about it. Disney became Disney Plus. Paramount became Paramount Plus. Uh, the Peacock yeah. on NBC. Mm-hmm. Everybody took streamers so that they can do their model. They don't want to have yeah. to pay and they, residuals. I was going to say, I just get really sad about watching it because I come from an, a business that used to be called Black Radio and nobody noticed when we kind of got eaten up by a thing called shh, Podcast. So I, yeah. I, I watch mm-hmm. y'all industry and I'm like, ooh, I mean, I watch wow. our because this is something that I wanted to participate in as well. Yeah. But it's it's scary. It's a little scary. I'm, I'm glad that you have made this pivot to the novel. That's like, literally. Yeah. <laughs> because you are on a hit show. Um, and I've seen a few people in the comedy world. I'm bringing it back to, to clubbing and working mm-hmm. out that, you know, you want to work out in the gym, and work out new material. But the more you're established on your comedy show, it's like the less that you are working out your material on stage. Does that worry you a little bit? Like, I mean, assuming that stand up is your first love, even though you're doing these other things. Yeah. But I mean, if it were all up to you to choose one medium would, would you just choose acting or stand-up or you know that's interesting i mean i think stand-up is the freest you know i always say that you know i just i did some shows this weekend i went and did a casino in oklahoma and that's the really great thing about being a live performer is that we have so many like different spaces. you got comedy clubs you got all these casinos across the com- country now you know the 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 whole Indian casino run. You got the big casinos. You got you know big venues. You know if we go, if I decide to do a, like a larger tour with some of my friends, like we did this summer with like uh, Straight Jokes No Chases with me and Mike Epps and DL and DC Young Fly, we was able to go and do arenas, and it was fun. And we rocked that all the way till May, and then went on a break because music mainly the music acts killed the summer. We you know we learned a long time ago. Oh. You stand up. Don't you go out there against Beyonce. You can't win against Beyonce. Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and Drake are killing Drake. us, man. And the you festivals. Yeah, and the festivals. You don't. So we we stopped out to in May, and we'll pick it back up in October. Good. Uh, late October, November. So, I mean, but that's kind of what we've learned as stand-ups over the years is, like, get out the way of them, uh, of them, of them, of them big music acts. They're going to murder you and murder every ticket in the area. And so and so you so you like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, but you know, again, I was able to go and do a casino because it's kind of an enclosed audience. You know, you can go and the, or the, the casino going to market to their people, and they're going to say, "Hey, Sid, come in," and I'm able to go and do 
2,000, 3,000 seats, you know, two nights in a row on my own. Like, so that's, that's a beautiful thing. Right. So I, I, I respect the stand up and I stay with it. You know, I've been my whole career. I've never really ever given it up. You know, I've known, I've known comedians that, you know, you make it on television or you start making it in the movies and you kind of give up on it or you feel like you don't have to do it anymore. But it is the, it's the dojo. It's the place where even if I'm going to write a movie or be in a movie, I like to go do stand up before I even start the movie because it helps you, it helps you kind of start your engine on your comedy vibration like if i got a character or something i'm trying to do i'd rather just go do some stand-up in a small place for a little bit just to get my get my energy going so like all right cool when i come to set i'm gonna be funny as this character like i know there's the hot 10 and sometimes there's the hot 20 if Chappelle asks you to do something or whatever but when you are like are you the type of person that has to ramp your way up to you know, 75, 90, or whatever the time is for like Netflix specials or HBO specials and whatnot. Is it? Yeah. How, how hard is it ramping up to that? Especially with, I guess I'm asking you if, uh, are you operating in the same way that an MC operates? Like, you know, like obviously, uh, uh, you could take Fonte or even Tariq from the roots. Those both, you know, very, capable excellent mcs but this is kind of a new battleground if you will with new rules and mcs today don't relate to the you know <laughs> or do they have the same process as yesterday's mc is is it that yeah. way for the for the comedy world or is it still about for you a punchline chris rock told me that he doesn't believe in a punchline anymore which kind of shocked me so yeah, I mean, you know, it is it is a little different. I definitely think that new comedy has kind of removed the idea of punchlines. You know, like people are more like into like trying to deliver. You know, I think I think after Chappelle hit, everybody just want to be prolific, man. Like everybody want to try like try to deliver like they you know these brilliant smart people, and that's just him. Like he he got a totally different brand than everybody, mm-hmm. right? So and he I reads. Think that, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people don't read, and then they want to be out there talking about they saying smart stuff. But you know, like you, like bro, where do you get that from? So, then, but right. I think that the, I think that for you know, for me, like the idea of like even even thinking about delivering a special, like I really, I'm probably one of the one comics that take a lot of time between my specials because I have material that I feel like makes a special, but you know. I'm also not a person that's very interested in just kind of throwing stuff out there. You know, I think people use it for a number of different reasons. One, you know, you might have the deal on the table, right? They might say, all right, cool, we're throwing a bag at you, put this special out, and you'll see people go do it just just so they could get the money, right? And then and then you have people that really feel like they got something to say right now, and, they, you know, and they'll put those specials out. But I think in the last couple of years, you know, for me, it's all about, like, just making sure that, my um, my material, my personality, what it is that I want to say is all in tune with the brand I built over 30 years. So I'm not going to just go out there and just take like little chance. I think y'all like that too, as far as the roots go, as far as my opinion, like y'all, Y'all, y'all are curators of y'all of y'all brand, like in a real way. We were when we was watching you on stage the other night, me and my wife were saying the same thing. It was like nobody has the ability to entertain like they do. Like, you know, you'll see, 
the new people like that, you know, kind of come out and maybe have a band on stage with them. But it's like the combination of musicality, real professionalism, mm -hmm. and uh, and something you know you're going to get when you spend your money, right? I know it's going to be lit. I got it, right? Now I know, like, Thank going you. to Mastro's or, or a quality restaurant where you know it's going to be good. I don't have to worry about it. Like, it's good. So... That's what I try to deliver when I'm when I'm you know when I'm doing specials or anything. So I'm not I'm never in a big hurry to just throw out anything. You're not putting any pressure on me whatsoever for my future in music and <laughs> concerts. He's saying do yeah, what exactly. you continue to do. Do what you continue to do. Yeah, That's I what know, I know, I know. Yeah. yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm really just shocked that no one's really done a concentrated study on how you, your whole clique, and Walter Latham kind of <laughs> yeah. built the brand and built you guys up so can you just talk about that 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 initial period of yeah matter of fact is is, is walter still active in terms of throwing not, shows not, or not that i know of i think that he tried to do some stuff on the the internet not too long ago or try to like create some brand where he was like taking you know using like young comedians and kind of using his kings of comedy uh you know, pedigree to do things for people, but I think it all kind of burnt out, in my opinion. But okay. you know, he was—he was just—he was a—he was, was a young, creative, uh, you know, show promoter at the time, and he was—he was just one of these guys that had like, you know, he was aggressive and young and had good ideas and a lot of heart, and so he—he—he he, he would do all of us individually. He do Steve, uh, you know, and um. You know, these would be theater shows, you know, mm -hmm. small theaters. And he did Steve and then he did Bernie. Then he did Steve and Bernie one time. He would do DL and I together. He was the one when when I became the host of Comic View, DL used to be the host and he put us together and called it, you know, the host of 
the host of BET or something like that and put us together. And we were able to go out together and do these tours. So I think it's inside of that space where he, he looked at his numbers and saw like all these guys were doing these numbers in these individual situations. What if I put them all together? I probably could do an arena. And so that's really how the Kings of Comedy came about. He, it was, it was his idea. He kind of called us, put us together, put the tour together. Uh, but I do think that in the process of that, he started to think he was the other king of comedy. And so it's <laughs> like his own hubris kind of got in the way. And then, you know, it was it was after the show and, and, the, and the movie came out that, you know, it was so many little things that he just was nobody wanted to be in business with him no more. So that wow. was it. But, he, you know, he didn't do the queen. He didn't do the queens. He did do the queens. All oh, that okay. was it. Right. You know, oh, the, the yeah. kings. The kings, yeah, the kings and queens, but he he had that kings and queens title, and okay. uh, and then he did a few other ones. He did a couple of tours after, but nothing to the magnitude of the kings of comedy and the queens of comedy. Is that is that the original roster? I just wanted to know. I always wanted to know. But the kings of comedy was there ever somebody that was that wanted originally or that got dropped off of the list? No, Dio was an addition. It started out just me, Steve, and Bernie, and then then they added DL. And then that that became the the one mm. that you know that really toured around and got hot. Yeah. So yeah, so, we started out just the three of us. We got Tory, got Tory with MC and uh and, and had a night popping. Gotcha. When you're doing that, like who's determining like the order of things and who's the the or at least the curation of it all? Ooh, it, it would be it's it's usually the comedians. I mean, on on a tour like that, we decide. And it's and it's usually, you know, usually an honor or respect thing, you know, depending on, you know, who's on the tour. Like usually people just kind of, you know, give props to, you know, whoever the OG is and be like, yo, you go last if you want to. Uh, but on our tour, I remember mm -hmm. like Bernie was the it dude, like Bernie was the dude, but Bernie wanted he called it the hammock. He didn't want to he didn't want to go first and he didn't want to go last. He wanted to lay in the hammock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. So. Last and first is ah, the the penultimate yeah. right before last. That's yeah. the sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. So so you know, even on the special, it looked like Bernie go last, but when we actually shot it, he was he was in the hammock. He did not go last that night. It was the I went last, and and he would uh, but on the special, the way the edit worked, it was better for him to go last for okay. the movie of it all. Wow. But. Um, but he performed in his hammock. That's, that's what he liked. He was like, that's where I want to be. And he had been out, you know, I got it. He had been out like Bernie that got hot before the rest of us. And he had did like big tours on his own. And so when he decided to do the Kings, he was just like, look, man, I already been out like as a big star already touring. I like the idea of this, but you know, again, we're doing 30, 40 minute sets. Let me, let me ride easy. So I got it. And so, uh, that became uh, that became a thing that a lot of com comics like to do to this day. Like you say, Amir, like we all like to we like to go in that spot right before last. It's, it's just less pressure. You could kill it and you could be gone. Be like, yo, do somehow. Like right. so. And, and and if you know, and if you don't kill it, then you know somebody else coming behind you, and everybody can have a good time, and they ain't gonna blame Forget you about for how the you show. Didn't being, <laughs> right. Yeah, they gonna blame you that the show went, was was bum ass or whatever. But so you know you so, but uh, but it's usually a respect thing. It's usually the comics deciding wh where everybody want to go according to who we feel you know de deserves that that reverence or whatever you know. 
How involved were you guys working with Spike in filming that? Was he, he kind of hands on with you guys, or did he just let y'all? Yeah. No, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a one. We all made a choice that you know, because we were trying to find somebody to direct the movie. We had it was uh, it was our choice. We were all partners on the movie, and uh, Spike, you know, mm. came up, of course, presented the the idea that he wanted to do it. And I mean, he was the most expensive one to to make our partner, but we also knew that it was the best move to get a movie. It's you know the kind of create the kind of cred that we wanted. And and then you know he Spike Lee he really loved comedy he loved the, he loved the idea of being he came I think we had did Radio City Music Hall he came and watched us came backstage talked about it he just super hyped and we was like yeah this will be crazy if Spike does this movie so you know and it just ended up being the right move for us and again you know we knew that when you bring Spike on you know he he gonna cut into the money like all the money that we could have got for using. <laughs> You know, we could have used Billy Woodruff or somebody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not laughing that hard. Shout out to Billy. Shout out to Billy. <laughs> no, no, Billy's cool. Billy's cool. That's my guy right there. No, no. Hey, wait, can, I got to ask you, because from a fan perspective for y'all, those fellas, two questions. Number one, I, I just got to know how you preserve Bernie in your heart and also like the relationship with you and, and these men. Like, how do y'all make sure that y'all continue to nurture it? Or do you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I just did my golf tournament, my celebrity tournament, uh, charity tournament last year. Both Steve and DL came. Uh, you know, uh, of course, me and DL, we probably, we see each other the most because our wives are friends, like real friends. So we see each other a lot, you know, go to dinner, hang out, uh, you know, and then we tour a lot of uh, much, a lot too. Like uh, all the kind of big arena tours I've been on, DL been a part of them. So you know, we got that kind of uh, uh, brotherhood. And then B-Mac is just one of these guys, man, that, you know, whenever we, you know, we're always related to the kings of comedy. And so, you know, almost in any interview, every situation, he's going to come, he's going to come up and be a part of it. But he, you know, kind of like what Quest was saying about like certain jokes. Uh, so he just got so many catchphrases that all of us, that that they are go to for regular, regular life. You know, if somebody say something off, you know, off kilter, then we, you know, we're going to pull out a Bernieism. you know, it's like, <laughs> they just a part of like, a part of like how we made up, especially by being with him so much on the tour, you know, like he would, he just have a hundred, you know, on a 50 yard line, but it's first and goal. You know, you'd be like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So, so that means that, that mean that's wherever I am in life, I'm out here trying to win, and I believe I can win. At this point, I'm on the 50-yard line, but for him, it's first and goal. And I was like, dang it, I love that one right there. Like, So, you know, that's, that's B-Mac. That's his kind of language. I want to ask you about two of my most favorite roles that you have done, Gus Pitch and Jazzy D. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the movies are Gus Pitch was uh intolerable cruelty, intolerable cruelty, and uh Jazzy D was uh top uh, five, was top five, top right. five, yeah, yeah. Yeah. rock yeah. movie. Yeah, both of both of them was like these sleeper movies, man. That I was always really, really, you know, really blessed to be a part of these like moves. Like one, Gus Pitch was like just this fun character because it was like, yo, you get to be in a movie with George Clooney and Catherine Zeta Jones. And uh, you know, this the character you did, you the detective, it and it was be. the Cohen brothers. Yeah, what was it like? Working what was with it? Him, yes, man? Yeah, please, because yeah. that yeah, was a really it was an unconventional film for what they normally kind of do. Um, yeah, you know, what were they like? they, 
they they you know they're you know they're super artists so you know and they're very eclectic and different of course you know Joel is you know probably a a little bit more talkative and then Ethan is kind of like you know laid back and so but they they were both like they they both like really enjoyed what I was bringing to the character so like once they kind of recognized like what I was going to do and what I was doing as a character then it was like really fun. They just kind of embraced so many things that uh, like choices that I kind of wanted to make as the guy. But I think you had to kind of earn that with them, like, you know, because they are very specific to uh, their vision. You know, that was the one thing. And I think that with that particular movie, to your point, it was a little outside their normal thing of what they was, what they kind of normally do. So they, they kind of trusted. And, you know, I'll think about even like what Jeffrey Rush did in that movie mm-hmm. and yeah, all those kind of things and, and, and Billy Bob, Billy Bob, you know, like all these kind of things. They people did different little, you know, character choices. And I think they 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 kind of opened up and like, yeah, you know what? All right, try it. You know, so I think yeah. that. And then, uh, and then with top five, you know, that was Chris Rock. He was directing. Uh, he had written the movie. He was he had you know he was directing the film, and he you know he he, he a brother right? Even you, know, you know he my comedic brother. So we we've been knowing each other many years and toured, been on dates together. And when he told me what the character was, I was like, say less, man. Like, he was like, you know, it's the, it's the dude that, you know, that when we when we start coming up, the dude that promised you all this stuff, and, you know, yeah, I'm sending the limo for you. Don't worry about it. I got you in the dope hotel. I'm, you could. This how I do it. Trust me, I'm the man in Houston. And I was like, oh, God, say less. Uh, if I if I ain't met this dude 130 times, I know Damn. exactly who he is. <laughs> that so, whole scene came back to me yeah. with Carly Red and all the stuff. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so so we look like tonight. It's gonna be walk up, yeah. walk up time. <laughs> no, that, that person me, still me, exists. Me, me, yeah, me getting them hangers. That was like that's like the real thing because you realize like people always stealing the wooden hangers from hotels if they got good wooden hangers. <laughs> you like, oh man, they got the lock on them. Yeah. Damn, they got the lock on them. Oh, you right the now. reason the hangers are two piece now, Amir? Oh, dog! I I I thought it was the only person that that did that. All my good hangers at home. Yeah, man. Hotels of the world, boy. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, the, the good the good hangers. You go in the hotel, and they got the good hangers. You like shit? They got the about. They about to get got. That's a wrap. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, I'm gonna add on to what they said. You get character actor roles, but you are not a character actor. Like everyone knows who you are. So how did you, how did you nuance that in starting uh, your first movie was ride? Was it not? Yeah. Yeah. First movie was ride. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, that was, that was the one thing I think like even my stand up early on, I used to, I used to do a lot of characters on stage like, you know, like mm-hmm. act out things fully. So in my mind, I just kind of transitioned the idea that, you know, where I would write a joke, I would try to develop a character. So, you know, like he like the like the old man in the barbershop. That was yeah, like Eddie. a choice. Yeah, yeah, like Eddie was a choice. Like they wanted me to play a different role. And I was like, no, nah, I want to be the old man. And I remember everybody was like, well, we want to cast the real old man. And I was like, well, just let me let me read it. Let me just show you what I'm going to do with it. But I had this guy like that. That was a combination of a dude at my mom's church. And somebody else, and it was this whole beat of like who this dude was. I knew exactly who he was, and so I got to the point I could do Eddie. I didn't even need dialogue. Like you just give me your circumstances, <laughs> and 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 Eddie just gonna come out of me. Like I know the stuff you okay. can say, 
And it was just that. And so the director started seeing that and they was like, all right, cool. No, that was before we even shot. So when they gave me the character, that was that was great for me. And that was really one of those transitional spots because that that kind of like, you know, really like changed me from being just a character actor in the movie to people saying, all right, cool, you can lead a movie. And mm -hmm. so I started to get other little movie roles, Johnson Family and Honeymooners and little things. But I love doing to your question, uh, Quest, I love like getting like just great little character roles that like show up in the movie with the with the right people and you know and where you can just come in and steal scenes and and and, and then and this burnout I, like those are fun to me i i think i always loved like uh like when don Cheadle did devil in a blue dress mm, like he was mouse you know we yeah. loved yeah we loved we loved Denzel, but mouse was our mouse. dude like and he was just—he wasn't all through the movie, but he was like, "Where Mouse said, give me more Mouse. I want to see that character." There has never been a moment said when you walked on the set and felt intim intimidated in that way. No, I mean, you know, like uh, you know, like with that that uh, that the first scene in in Intolerable Cruelty, I had to do a scene with George Clooney, like the first day I got there, hmm. and you know, it was one of those things of knowing like he was Clooney at the time and. You know, and you just kind of want to do the right thing and you just, you know, so but I never I never really got small. I just was very careful. Right. Like you kind of like more careful, like making sure, you know, you know, and I knew the Cohen brothers was a big deal. And it's all these things where you just want to be like, I don't want to be this guy to come in and like act like these people not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then you find out like, oh, that was offensive or whatever. So. That's the that's the young virgin, but you know I always kind of was confident in who I was and what I was coming there to do. So I just leaned into that more than anything. Did they know who? Because as your fans, did they know who you were? I just I always been curious about that. Like you step on that Cohen brothers, does George Clooney know? Like I'm a king. Clooney did, but I don't okay. think the Cohen brothers really knew. I think they knew like at, once they kind of got into casting, and I had to kind of go there a couple of times, and then they. You know, at a rehearsal, then they kind of realize, like, oh, oh, you like really that dude. But yeah, you know, like I people think will that, come see this movie for you, like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think they knew that right away. Are you still in the occasional audition phase, or is it? I once said the entertainer, and you don't. Here's the script. Tell me if you it or not. No, I will. I, I will always. You know, I tell teams that sometimes people don't. They don't see me or, or, you know, see me in a certain role. So if I must audition, if it's something I like and I want to do and I must audition, I will. I, I definitely prefer to be offered, you know what I mean? You know, but but it's certain roles like it was a role that came up. Uh, I don't even know if they ever shot this project, but it was a role that came up and it was a cool like, you know, Apple TV series and it was it was something that I wanted to do. It's very likened to the character in my book. And I don't think anybody would have saw me as this character, but I was already kind of on this journey. And when I saw the breakdown, I was like, yo, give me an audition. Like, I want to go in. And then I had a long, you know, because of that, I was able to have go a long way with the directors and the producers. Uh, but I'm not sure what direction it went. I've never seen the project come out. So, but I know I didn't get the role, but I did. I did open the conversation up once oh, okay. they saw like what I could do, then people started to be like, it, it became a little more real and, you know, by doing the audition. So I wasn't afraid for that. Like those kind of things make sense. Was there a role uh, that you passed up that you later had a regret about doing? I.e. Will Smith 
passing up on the Matrix. Matrix, yeah. <laughs> oh man, let me see. Not necessarily. I know that I had the opportunity to do like Mike, uh, that movie like Mike, but it right. was also at the same time that I could do Barbershop, and I feel like I made the better choice. Yeah, you made the right. Yeah, right. Made the right. right. I don't even. Yes, uh, was that so, Bow Wow? Yeah, like that was Bow Wow. Were, that was the yeah, Bow Wow. Yeah, yeah. But I just remember one was a bigger money play, and you know, and my team was like, "Yo, you gonna get paid over here." It's a big movie, and then the other one was a small movie, and I was like, "Yeah, but this is a that became movie. a franchise." Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Smarter move. So uh, I was trying to think of like ones where I didn't, where I kind of passed up that I didn't get. Uh, uh, not, nothing really comes to mind that I was like, "Yo, I'm," you know, I kind of regret I didn't get that one. Man, talk about threats. Uh, the Jay Z track, like what was That's that right. like? Yeah. You two have something in common, sort of in the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a six degree to separation yeah. way with the threats to yeah. him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I'd seen Jay, like, you know, throughout my career many times. And so I just told him one time, I was like, yo, but if I'm in New York, I want to see you work. Can I come to the studio? Everybody told me about, you know, the Rain Man thing he does and how he just kind of writes and move, move, move. And I just asked him, could I come to the studio? And he was like, yeah, no doubt. So I go one time, he's there, we in the studio. And everybody's just kind of hanging out. And he's like, I got to leave. I got to go and run some errands. But I'm working on this this threat situation. I'm working on this thing. And it, he was like, it's on, the, it's on like some Mad the Rapper type stuff. If you can just throw something out there, let me know. You know, and so he literally left. I think it was ninth, And uh, it was ninth, Guru. And Guru was there. Yeah. And I just kind of like went in and just started freestyling it. And then he he called me maybe a few months later and was like, hey, man, you made the album. I was like, what? He was like, yo, you made the <laughs> album. I was like, oh, man, that was crazy. It was the Black album, so it made you feel like, yo, it won you just a part of, like, you know, super history. And so I was I was really happy to be a part of that, you know. That kind of same thing on the Nellyville, yeah, on Country Grammar. Yeah, country. I'm about to say. That was D-Ray doing Bernie. Doing Bernie. Damn, I did not know that was D Ray. Yeah, yeah, that's D Ray doing Bernie. That was D Ray. He's so yeah. tall. He's so oh, that wasn't Bernie Mac. No. All right, D Ray, you talented. I know. I mean, I do know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he lit. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Seeing you at this, at this stage in your life, is there any. Is there anything that you have yet to achieve that you have like as a bucket list? Do you feel like now is the time for you to just get your bucket list on and and start greenlighting your own projects and whatnot? Like, what do you? Yeah, that's kind of really the space I'm in now. You know, of course, like the strike really, really teaches you that, too. Like, you can't always kind of like, you know, expect that you'll have time or that everything that you want to do will just show up when when you need to. And so, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, I definitely want to get back into the movie space, like in the starring role parts, you know, like looking for those. So I started to write movies that, you know, that I feel like makes sense for me. Uh, and then. Uh, Dramas and, then and comedy feel, said. What is, uh, yeah, exactly. I think it too, more so to your question, questions that it is dramas that I feel like people hadn't necessarily seen me see. really stick my foot in something. Right. right. You know, I did. I did the uh, that first reformed with uh, Ethan Hawke that was out last year. Really, you know, really moved with uh, Paul Schrader, great director, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried. A small kind of a artsy film. It was okay. a it was a dramatic role. We got some nominations. We got some looks, you know. But again, it wouldn't be something that black people would go see. I don't think right away. Uh, so again, let's certain real, kinds of black people said yeah, we are exactly. not a monolith. Yeah, exactly, we just so true. I'm gonna throw that out there. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's how quest go. Yeah, maybe you know. I, I would yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah, I would see it. I would see it. Yeah, no, and it's it's a, it's a great film because again, dynamic actors in there, uh, and it is still you know kind of uh, uniquely done. Very quiet movie, you know, not, not a lot of not, you know all about the words, all about the emotion. Uh, I forgot. That's a style. It's called like transcendental or something like that. Some it's a it's a style of movie shooting. But you know that's that, that's pretty much what I would say. Bucket list. I'm looking for a character or or a series or something I can stick my teeth into where people can see me be a little more dramatic in in my in my play. You know. I want to. I want to see that. Time. I can't believe that my my very first question to you that I didn't ask, and it looks like it's going to be my last question to you. How did you come up with your moniker? I do not know the story of how you became Cedric the Entertainer. Oh, oh wow, oh yeah, that's a that's a that's a crazy story. That that story really kind of really kind of came from. Uh, I always say it was me trying to. It's fairly serendipitous. It was the idea that I didn't want to be. I, I I got very popular in St. Louis, right? A lot of people. I was doing comedy. People knew me. I would call into the radio. I, I would get booked. But I didn't have a lot of jokes. I would, you know, I I had, uh, you know, 10 minutes worth of jokes. And then so to get really paid, you have to do at least 30 minutes, 40 minutes on stage. So I would sing. I sing a whole Luther song. I do a poem. I do a dance routine. I do a whole bit about being on Soul Train. And I play like nine songs so I could do the different dances. I would <laughs> fill up my time. And so. Right. 
one night it was a guy, you know, just kind of introducing everybody. And he kept saying this next comedian, this next comedian. And I was like, don't call me a comedian because I don't have enough jokes to be called a comedian. Call me an entertainer. And he called me Cedric the Entertainer. I went up, I rocked it. And then, and when I came off, I had a stand ovation and he called me Cedric the Entertainer again. And I just kept it. I was like, that's the name. Nice. As a comedian, um, I've seen you do crowd work before. Do you like doing crowd work or is it too much pressure to think on your toes that fast? I'm not that fast, man. I mean, I could do it if it happens to be the, Well, I've seen you in hosting situations in which. Yeah. 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 When you hosting, you gotta, you gotta be like, yo, like just kind of let the room like kind of come to you. But it's not a thing that I'm very comfortable with because it, it promotes people talking back, you know, it promotes. And I, I am more of a, uh, I am more of a stage so performer. You don't have like five quips for a heckler just in case they want to. For sure, you know okay. I'm ready now. Like I, I, oh. I keep, I keep it locked. But, but the thing is, is that you know I much rather when I'm on stage, I much rather come there uh, for the performance. So I, actually, some of my opening acts, I, I, I would hire opening acts that are shooters. I call them shooters because. They go out and make sure that audience is tightened up <laughs> and in their place like and go that. on no smoke. Yo, no, I never no. thought of that. So That's you, a career yeah. goal. You get an opener to, to, yeah. to assassinate any would-be. Uh, man, heck. I got a dude, dude named Malik S. from Florida. He ain't no, he, no, you don't want no smoke with this dude. If he come out there, he is he fast and he funny and he raw and he going to be in people like, yeah, I'm good, man. Never mind. And so... By the time I come on stage, everybody is pretty much there to, to understand that I'm here to tell you some jokes and perform for you like a grown-up, and you're going to sit in your chair and you're going to be quiet. That <laughs> <laughs> asked a, a, a flipping box cards question. I just I wanted to yeah. know, because it is a fictional story, and you said it was interesting listening to you earlier in this conversation talk about the lack of men in your life. So, number one, I was curious, because even though it's fictional, it seems like it is a lot of your grandfather and baby voice, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I was just curious how you got all of that, because you didn't know him, and it's, was it really from your mother? And then also, yeah. since you, and, and answer this for me too, as a man, who was the man in your life? Because said, when we look at you, when we talk to you, we you sound like such a well-rounded man in, in so many yeah. ways to have so many yeah. women in your life, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, I think that that's really the thing. I kind of really feel it was a lot of kind of osmosis in a, in a number of ways, you know, uh, you know, cause my, my, my mother and my uncle would tell me the stories of my grandfather. And then you start to emulate, I think, you know, other people's fathers and the neighborhood. You know, we were just kind of talking about that. When you see these young folks out here that kind of grow up and everybody kind of like, you know, on the Dracos and everybody got their pants down and they want to be gangsters. You know, you kind of see that when we grew up, our our men in our neighborhood was was people that was fathers. They The ones that was there, they was like taking kids to the baseball field and and you had to say yes, sir, to him. And, you know, you didn't call you didn't call your daddy by your daddy friend by his first name. Like these kids, they know people by Darnell now. You know what I'm saying? And, and they don't even they don't call that man Mr. Nothing. That'd be Not like, yet. yo, where that they, you know, you you literally even live in a world where these kind of these kind of uh, you know, archetypes don't really exist. So for me, I think that that's really, you know, one of the things that I was kind of like, you know, kind of like spinning the story from is like this idea that 
I like to wear suits. This idea that I like to be respected and talk, treat people with respect. I do think that is, I got a responsibility to others. You know, like I, I recognize that. And somehow, you know, my mother would say that's who my grandfather was. Like he would do all these things. He makes sure that even though he was, you know, in the underworld and he was a gambler and a hustler and a bootlegger, but he kind of did all these things because that was really what was available to him. You know, at the time, you know, so it was not true. You know, I'm like, wait a minute, it was yeah. not true about baby boys. That's that's all this. Yeah, stuff all, that, yeah, all that stuff is in there. The the restaurant owner, he had the restaurant. He go and take care of the people out in the field. I say he was the first dude with a food truck. That would be in my mind because wow. you know, like because he would, he would he'd take his restaurant, he'd make sandwiches, and then he'd go out to the fields, and then people would pay a quarter for a sandwich and some water, and he'd like make sure he eat, and then he burn he burned back out. That was. Those all cash moves that he would do, like his, and you know those kind of things, and so, uh, you know, but he was also like a you know extreme risk taker, which you know in the book you find out like he took big risk, and you know these sometimes they don't go your way, you know, but that's that's the that's the the life of any any of us that you try to go out and you stick stick your neck out for your own yeah. ideology, right? You mm-hmm. recognize that at some point in time it might not go the way you think, and then. You got you to deal with that, those circumstances, consequences. Wow. Uh, so I want to ask you, you were mentioning earlier uh, some of the conversation about your team and kind of deciding which projects to pick. Um, the team that you have now, how long did it take to assemble them, I guess? And um, like who were, who were like kind of your core people, you know, your manager? Man, yeah, I've, been really ble- I've been really blessed, man. I mean, my core group of people, my guys that, that I met in college, man, like my, my, my manager, wow. my partner, you know, my, my production company is called a bird and a bear. That's me and my partner, Eric Rohn. He, my manager and my business partner, we called him Swanee Swan, you know, okay. from the warriors, you from back in the <laughs> oh, Swan. So yeah, yeah. yeah he, we called him Swan back in the day. And so, and I'm Seti bear. So we a <laughs> bird and a bear. So that's the name of our production company, but we've been together since again, my college days, uh, my tour manager and, you know, uh, creative t- tour consultant. He was, uh, he was, I went to junior high school with him. That's Kelvin Bland. So wow. he a guy that been with me my whole career, like seeing me like kind of come up and just, you know, and he started to learn how to do lighting and, and learn how to make my shows more interesting. And, and, you know, and those were the kind of things he got interested in and booking me. And, and so uh, that's it. And then I've been, you know, with my agency and my lawyers for probably a long time too, like from early on when I got my first deals, uh, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm starting to make some changes there, but, but then, you know, for the most part, my team is solid. And I, I got a new publicist not too, uh, maybe about three years ago. Uh, so, but they've been great too, but I, you know, they, they came through a uh, great recommendation. And so it's the same that, that, same guy that does Eddie Murphy. He's my guy right now. So okay. he's, he's dope, nice. though. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, I was an avid watcher of your uh, your millionaire days. Um, is game show hosting, like, is that as fun as it seems? Or, is, like, do you have any other future plans for? You know, I actually enjoyed it. You know, there was a thing about doing, you know, millionaire where you, you are, you know that people were coming on here and they – they love these game shows and they really mm-hmm. want to win. And it's a lot of fun to them. It's very arduous because you have to do, you know, maybe, you know, five to six shows in a day. Like you mm-hmm. shoot a lot, you know, we, it's a very aggressive, you know, 
because we and that was the biggest thing about it. But for me, it allowed me to live in New York for like three months. So mm-hmm. it was great because it was a totally different experience. I, you know, I was able to come and live in the city and be there. So the only reason I didn't come back and do the second season is that they the the, the next season is that they moved it to Connecticut, way up in Connecticut. And I was like, that's that's Weird. not for me, guys. <laughs> I just, it was like they was near. Wait, they show up in like, Connecticut. They moved it to Connecticut. They don't know to cut the budget or make it a it's little a big more, talk show uh, state. It's a right. It's a big yeah. talk show state. Like Maury was there and Jerry was okay. there. And oh wow, yeah, well, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew for a second that, yeah. Tyler was there. For a second, like he had a, I mean, ESPN, 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 yeah, ESPN, yeah, yeah, ESPN. But yeah, it was like that, and it was very, you know, very small town feel, very outside the loop, you know. And you had to be there three to four months, mm. and I was just like, nah, and, you know, nah, no, no. If you're living <laughs> in New York doing that, then that's fun because you're in the city, you get to pop off, you you finish your day, and then you go and. And we would shoot like Monday through Thursday, so I would have Fridays off a lot of times. Oh yeah, ain't nowhere to go. Game show, yeah, I'm not gonna <laughs> be stuck in Bristol. No. You know, that's not no. gonna be my move. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah. ask you uh, too uh, before we go with uh, your barbecue, man. You and Anthony uh, Anderson. Um, yeah. What do uh, do you like cook a lot? Uh, what's just some yeah. of your favorite? Is it sugar yeah. free? No, it, we just got the rubs right now. We don't <laughs> okay. have the sauces. So we 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 the sauces are coming though, and we got we will because you know uh, Anthony's diabetic, so we all yeah. and, and make sure we're not gonna be over over the top with all our you know sugars and all that stuff. But the idea really came from us. You know, we we all golf together. Me, Anthony, George Lopez, Don Cheadle, Chris oh, Spencer, Jesus Christ, group. We all travel DL, and we'll travel and go. And then Anthony and I would often be the ones doing the cooking grilling you know cooking and making the food for everybody because we rent a house and hang and be a fun time man so uh but you know i grill a little bit and cook a little bit but what we really loved about this space is that everybody was you know trying to do liquors and tequilas and all that and what we wanted to do is use our celebrity for something we thought that really was like uplifting for the community and really authentic to who we were in the sense that barbecuing and grilling and getting together is 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 black as they come and and even more so american as they come like it's a this is where people fellowship we you th- i throw the meat on you bring the the tater salad you somebody bring the mac and cheese <laughs> and we got a meal and we're gonna play cards and we're gonna laugh and we're gonna drink and we was like yo we can capture this as a brand if we can capture that essence that's what we really want to do and that's what AC Barbecue about more than anything. We we actually feature more pit masters than we grill ourselves. So we really go around and find like people that really oh, cook, on the like, show. Like, yeah. like we like yeah. we pull up. Like that's the kind of thing we love. The fact that you you really love it. Like you know, like you throw a, a cool barbecue at your crib or yeah, you got an egg. You got an season. Egg. You know, and that's it. <laughs> we we come through, pull up, and like let's talk about what you cooking. Let's talk about the you know the relationship you have to why you start cooking and in the stories. And then that's what we do. And then we, you know, as AC Barbecue, we out telling that story along with, you know, introducing our products. And, uh, you know, we got, um, we're in like 2,700 Walmarts right now. We got Lowe's coming. We got Home Depot coming. Lowe's and Home we, Depot, we, that's dope. Yeah, we, we doing tools and we got spatulas and tongs mm-hmm. and all oh, that yeah. coming. We got... We got restaurants coming. We we out here. We out here doing it. So we actually got an opportunity to do some restaurants on college campuses. 
So these are things that we all got in development. So we working hard at, at making sure that we out here, you know, talking about, you know, something that really started from, you know, our, our culture really is that that idea of taking whatever we got and throwing on some hot coals and making a meal out of it. That that goes as far back as slavery and beyond on, on yeah. the way to, to, to cook. So, you know, but it definitely uh, culturally a thing, but we, we, we love, and we know that barbecue is different in different regions. And that's why we didn't want to be like, you know, you got to do it our way. We like, we love the way you do it. We're going to come and show and get that love. And so that's what our show is all about too. So, man. So, uh, Mr. Kyles, I thank you for coming on our show, man, and talking to love us. Uh, about time, like we we've been here almost. What are we? Six years now. Almost what? seven. We not gonna seven. Why do I have a hard time remembering seven, our? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We not. Oh wow. Yeah, we not gonna seven. What you say, Steve? Because you said because you don't hey, love man, us. That's a blessing, man. <laughs> in podcast land, you're damn right. We old in podcast land. This is yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Right, man. That's what's yeah. up. OGs. Yo, yeah. Thank you, OG. Thank you for everything you're doing for race, race relations with the neighborhoods as well. I wanted yeah. to say oh, that yeah, because yes, y'all right. doing some, introducing some things, letting people know and stuff. I appreciate yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, that's thing. right. Yeah, that we use cows. No. Yes. <laughs> that's my favorite, Sid. That's my, I always talk about that. That is such a big that's deal. Right. It's so true. That's We're talking so about the towel yeah. joke, y'all. Y'all know we just, that we just found yeah, out that so white not, people don't use washcloths. Yeah, yeah washcloths. Yeah. Washcloths. Washcloths. Yeah. Washcloths. Thank you. Yeah, Steve, okay. any uh, comment? Thank you, Cedric. Yeah, I, yeah. I love all the stuff you do. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, brother, man. Happy birthday, fam. Thank you. Nice thank you so man. much. Nah, thank you for everything, man. You're one of my yeah. favorite comedians and just one of you know my favorite entertainers, period. And uh, oh. I always got teased in high school. Everybody told me I look like you. So, <laughs> <laughs> How do you have this humor? Full circle moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's funny like that. That's dope. Yes. Oh, my God. Sherman Showcase. Check it out, Sid. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm a long-time fan, brother. Just uh, love love everything you do, man. No, 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 no yeah. doubt, man. Yeah. All right. Well, on behalf right. of... Uh, Laia, I'm Pete Bill, and uh, Birthday Steve, and uh, Fontigolo, and uh, shout out to Britt and Jake. Wow, to the king. Yeah, and, and, and the entire family at uh, iHeart. This is a, another Questlove Supreme Extravaganza, and we'll see you on the next program. All right, thank you. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.